In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and when all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by the night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is, the, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there, will, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory, Glory to, to God, God in the, the highest. highest. And on, and on earth, earth peace, peace among, among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of, days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Jesus, of Judea, for it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Thank you for that. Let's, um, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, the Christmas story. The same story, same words that have been uh, read for thousands, 2,000 years. And um, to remind us what Christmas is all about. So, Lord, we just ask for you to be present in these next few moments. Before we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. If you're visiting us, we're really glad that you're here. And I'm Ronnie, one of the pastors here. Um, so this evening's kind of a little bit different for a couple of reasons. One of them is at, at a certain points in this little devotional, this reflection, I'm actually going to let you use your cell phone to, you'll see little QRC codes in your guide, and I have little pictures that I'm going to allude to. And so that, that's weird. Who pulls out phones during a you know, little sermon? Uh, that, that might be an awful idea, because you might just stay on it and just start playing Sudoku or something. I don't know. Uh, but also, it's a little different, because normally what we would do on a Sunday morning is I would take a passage of Scripture uh, and try to explain it in context and, and, and try to explain wh why it's relevant for modern people uh, explaining the text, right? And that's what we call expositional preaching. Um, I'm not going to do that tonight. What I want to do is just short, share with you a reflection on Christmas, um, I love the Charlie Brown cartoon, uh, the one that was first aired on public television on CBS in 1965. It's actually been re-aired every single year since then. Uh, and this is like, I, I used to watch it when I was a kid I remember when we only had like three channels. Y'all remember that? A few of you do. And, um, but what I love about Charlie Brown Christmas is like the existential angst that Charlie Brown suffers from, Right? He, like in exasperation, asks the, the question, what is the meaning of Christmas? And Linus, like his friend, this infinite fount of wisdom, he responds to that very philosophical question by citing a historical event which culminates with a baby being born to an unwed mother and laid in a feeding trough. Now listen. Every hundred years, 7.5 billion babies are born. 
how is this baby any different? I mean, does this baby that we're celebrating, does, he cha- does it change anything? I mean, why should modern people care? When my kids were little, uh, I would read to them short you know, stories, just like many of you parents. And if it was a really captivating, fantastic story with a happy ending, when I said the words, the end, they would always immediately ask, wait, but is it true? Is it true? Uh, because they really want it to be true. That's what I want for you today. I, I, want, I want, upon hearing these ancient words about, about God being born in Bethlehem, I want you to ask, but is it true? And then I want you to say, because I really want it to be true. So what difference does a baby make? I want to answer that in four ways, and that's what I'm going to do. That's, that's how we're going to spend the rest of our time here. Uh, four ways. The first way is that this baby represents grace. Grace. Now, most people think about Christianity in terms of a bunch of like uh, performance boxes that we kind of need to check off, right? As we measure up, we're climbing the ladder of good works until we arrive at heaven, right? So people actually see Christianity as being on the good list instead of the naughty list. And so we earn the right to get gifts. Uh, That's all problematic. That's wrong. It's not true. And, And here's the main problem is that there's only one list, There's only a naughty list, and we're all on it, all of us. And because we're all on the wrong list, this is one of the reasons why, actually, why Christians are not allowed to be judgy with one another, because we're all on the same list. You can't judge people who are on the same list as you are, right? Uh, We're on the same boat. And also, because we cannot ascend to God on a ladder, he has to descend to us. And that's what the baby represents. That baby was God incarnate. And he came to us because we could never ascend to him. And God loves to give good gifts, even if we have blown it, right? Isn't that right, parents? Like, even if our kids don't measure up, even if we've had a terrible December, they're still presents tomorrow, right? Because we love to give good gifts. And when a parent does that, that is... That's evidence of grace, God's grace working in them, right? That's a glimpse of how God's grace is evident towards us. Now, kids, listen to this story. There was this man, and he lost his job. He'd come on hard times. His his family was not going to get any Christmas presents this year. But this man had a friend, and his friend was like a CEO, like the big boss of this large department store. And for Christmas, the CEO gave the man a gift certificate to his store, like a card. And now the man felt really, because he's prideful, right? Like a, a pride in his, in his you know, in, in earning things, right? He's, because he's prideful, he, he was, felt uneasy about accepting this gift. But, you know, like what options did he have? Because he wanted his kids and his family to have presents. Uh, there would be no Christmas presents without the help of this man, Now, the man and the owner met at the department store, and they walked him through. And this whole time, the the dad, the man, was was eyeing the price tag of everything as he got things from the store. He he was eyeing it because he's actually hoping to overshoot, right, the, the, uh, the amount on the gift certificate so that when he comes to the register, he'd have to pay a little bit, right? 
He wants to pay a little bit so that uh, he can put a little bit of money into the cash register to show his gratitude to his friend who owns this department store. So he wants to pay a little bit. But when he comes to the register, he pulled out the certificate, and then he also pulled out his wallet, both, ready to pay. And the CEO says, well, it looks like you only used half of the certificate, half of the card. Now, this man was shocked because he thought to himself, oh my goodness, like, I was keeping an eye on the prices here. This man must have been charging me half the hold of, of the price tag the whole time, which means I'm still in this man's debt. And he's really uneasy about being the recipient of such an extravagant gift. So a couple weeks later, he's going to come back so he can use the rest of this certificate. This time, he is convinced he's going to overspend the gift certificate. So they gathered shoes and accessories and all this kind of fun stuff. And they went back to the register. He pulls out the, the gift card and he pulls out his wallet. And his friend rings it up again and he goes... You're not going to believe this. I have rang everything up, and it comes to exactly zero. Now, they start protesting, right? There's no way that, that, that they did not get more than the value of this gift certificate. And so the owner confesses. He says, well, I don't think you know how this works. No matter how much you throw at this gift card, it will always total and sum out to be zero. That is lavish grace, right? Well, listen, everyone, because I want to be really clear about this. This is how grace works. No matter how much sin, all that you've done to be on the naughty list, all the debt that you throw at God, you always get grace and gifts. Now, if you listen carefully, though, you'll notice that it is a little bit uncomfortable. It's free, but it's uncomfortable because Although it's free and filled with gifts, it means we're always, in some ways, in debt to God. In other words, we owe him everything, right? We, we don't have what we have because of something we've earned, because we've had enough in our wallet. It's always grace. God came down to us as a baby because we could never ascend. We could only dig our holes deeper. But God comes down all the way. What difference does a baby make? He gives us grace. That's the first difference. There's a second difference. Because of this baby, we get a substitute. So God was born in a manger, and he, was, he became fully one of us, right? He's fully man and fully God. Now, what, what does this matter? Why do we need a substitute? Now, let me explain with a, um, a, a story from Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities. So high schoolers, I'm not sure if they make you guys read this anymore. But here we are. Uh, Tale of Two Cities, it's actually set in the French Revolution. There are these two principal characters. There's Sidney Carton and Charles Darnay. Now, these two men are rivals, but they're also doppelgangers, which means they look exactly like, they're almost identical to one another. Now, more than that, these two men who look exactly the same, they love the same woman. But the woman, she marries Charles instead of Sidney, and they end up having a family together. Now, at the end of the book, Charles is arrested and put into a dungeon. He's supposed to be executed by the guillotine the next day. 
And Charles, when he dies, he will leave behind his wife and his child. Now, because Sidney, his rival, looks exactly like him, Sidney sneaks into the prison, to the dungeon, knocks Charles out, has his friends take him out to safety, and then he puts on Charles' clothes, and Sidney stays there to die in his place. He will be his substitute, and the jailer will never know the difference. In that same dungeon, there is this other young prisoner, a young female seamstress who's also on her way to the guillotine. She walks up to the man who she thinks is Charles, and she's really, you know, understandably very nervous about dying. They're both dying for the same good cause, but they're looking for comfort. And then suddenly she realizes, the seamstress realizes that it's not Charles. And her eyes get really big and whispers, are you dying for him? And hushing her, he says, and for his wife and child. And then having asked him earlier to comfort her, she begins again. She says, oh, will you let me hold your brave hand, stranger? See, she's warmed against the chill of the dungeon and even given courage in the face of her own death by the mere idea of this man's substitutionary death. Isn't that something? It's good literature. What difference does a baby make? Well, this baby didn't stay a baby. He lived a perfect life, a perfect life that you and I should have lived, but we didn't. And then he knocked us out. And he took our place and took our sentence. He died the death that we deserved in our place as a substitute. And more than that, he offers you his warm hand so that you can hold it and walk in the uncertainties of this life with courage. You can be brave too, even in a really hard and confusing season. So this baby, he gives us grace but he gives us a, becomes our substitute. There's a third difference that this baby makes. He also gives us hope. So this baby is a king. He doesn't sit on the thrones of man. This baby sits on the thrones of history, and he is good. Now, here's why y'all need to understand this. Is some of you, I know, have been dealt a really bad hand in life. You have. Some of you uh, have been um, hurt in ways that most people can't quite even understand your pain. And out of that place of hurt, you have found that being hopeful feels really scary. And so you opt out of hope. Instead, you prefer to be safe and cynical. You would rather be safe and cynical than to face disappointment because you you don't want another scar on your heart. And so you're safe. But all the wonder, and even the wonder of the holidays, life, it's all slowly fading. You know, this is actually a major reason why people avoid church. It's because Christians are irritatingly hopeful. We're hopeful. And hope feels risky. This is not... This is not about the arguments about the existence of God. That's not our problem. It's about the scars on our heart and scars that we 
don't want to be honest about. But let me tell you this. If that's you, it's too risky to not hope. So I have a good friend of mine, Brandon. He uh, is also a pastor in Florida. And there are some friends of theirs. um, I have a little boy, and they tell a story about their friend's little, um, this this, this little one. His name was Grant. Uh, Now, Grant was your average kid. Uh, He loved animals. Uh, Grant loved wearing cowboy boots. Uh, Grant loved the Lord. He was even baptized in a horse trough. Uh, But Grant was born with a mitochondrial disorder that eventually broke his little body. And it uh, it made it difficult to breathe. And the disorder affected his back, and it ultimately malformed his spine, such that his spine almost looked like a question mark. And at the very end of his life, he needed a motorized wheelchair to get around. And Elena, his older sister, uh, she she says, we're all really sad about Grant's condition, but he was never mad at God for what was happening to him. Grant, um, he got to spend one last Christmas with his family. Um, On that first QRC code, the top one, if you want to look at it, uh, there's a picture of him. Uh, At Grant's request, his dad picked him up out of his wheelchair, wrapped him in a blanket so that he could catch snowflakes on his tongue. That February... Uh, Grant would die, and he was just eight years old. Emily, his mother, I want to read to you uh, Emily's words. This is what Emily writes. Sean and I held Grant's hand in his last hours as our dear friends and neighbors were standing outside our house with candles singing praise songs on a cold, snowy night in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. They didn't know that inside... We had been listening to the infrequent gasping of air for a few hours. Though Grant was comfortably unconscious, the sound of his tiny body shutting down was driving us mad. But then, coming down the street were those lights and beautiful voices. I will never forget the sound because it was in such direct contrast to all that was transpiring in our living room. At one point, I just looked at my husband He must have seen the desperation in my eyes because he said, this loveliness outside our window is just a fraction of what Grant will be hearing soon. He was between this world and his true home where choirs of angels were waiting to take over. I went outside to hug and thank everyone. And when I came back inside, I could see that Grant had left. Our sweet friends had sung him home. What hope, she writes, what hope in the midst of such horror. I imagine that scene will play over and over in my head for the rest of my life. Those were her words. Life comes at you fast. I mean, crashing wave after crashing wave. And it doesn't discriminate Rich, poor, tall, short, pretty, ugly, thin, portly, it doesn't matter. But listen, this baby, was the one that was born in a manger, was a king. 
But he is a king over all things. And at the command of his voice, he can redeem every sad thing, which means you can hope. You can hope or you can stay in your cynicism, but life is too risky to not hope because it means that the scars on your heart will always stay there. They'll never be healed. Or, or, those scars can be turned into an occasion of joy. Why don't, uh, why don't you lay aside the cynicism this Christmas season? Why don't you hope again? That's what I want for you. Why don't we hope again? So this baby gives us grace. This baby gives us, is, becomes our substitute. This baby gives us hope. When we ask, what difference does a baby make? One last way of answering this is with the word adoption. And this is my final point. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, a lot of us, many of us, live with this constant undercurrent, emotional undercurrent of shame. It's, um, it's this sensation that we're less than what we should be. Or that, like, um, that something is wrong with us, that we're not enough. Like we're never enough. It's like our whole lives are about performing and producing. And, and we're, always, you know, we're always haunted with the question, am I enough? Right? And if we feel like we're not enough, then thinking about God is a, like a very unpleasant thing. It's, you know, like it's one thing to be rejected by a friend on social media, but it's a whole other thing to be rejected by God. And so we would just prefer not to think about it. So we, uh, you know, we medicate ourselves with daily absurdities. And maybe we've even done that this Christmas. But I wonder if we relate to God like that because we've misunderstood God. Uh, I want to tell you about Ike Brown. Ike was uh, 21 years old. He was a straight-A student. He was well-loved by his family and friends. And one night, playing at a friend's house, some, just video games, uh, an acquaintance of the family, uh, his name is Takoya Kreiner, Takoya shows up, and for reasons still unknown to this day, he shoots at the three boys, kills two of them, and one of those boys was Ike Brown. Now, Ike Brown Sr., the father, is a, is a police officer. That day, he received a phone call and found out that his son was dead. And now, Ike Sr. always told himself that if anyone ever hurt his family or touched his kids, he was going to hurt them back and even hate them. Well, the day in court arrived, and Takoya Kreiner, the man who killed Ike Brown, entered. And when he did, something happened in Ike Sr. He found the seed of compassion and forgiveness drop into his soul. Now, Tokoya Kreiner was convicted and sent to prison. And for six months, Ike Sr. wrote letters to Kreiner, but he never mailed them. And finally, he wrote one, and he put it in the mail, and he sent it. And this is what it said. Tokoya, I am praying for you all the time. He goes on to write some other things, and he says, I want to ask you a favor. I miss my son terribly. I was wondering, would you be my son? We can write and we can talk and I can come and visit you and we will be family. 
And a month passed, and finally Tequoia wrote back, and he says, I told God that when they first slammed the prison door, that if I ever heard from you, I would know that Jesus Christ is real. I need him for my failure and for my shame. But as for your favor, sir, I am disqualified to fill in. But if you will help me from this point on, I would love to be your son and for you to be my dad. And that second QRC code is a picture of the two of them enjoying each other. Father and adopted son. It's a picture of their daily, their weekly meetings. Father and adopted son. Like, like who does that? I'm telling you this story because like, who does that? I mean, who adopts and loves and cares for the man who killed your son? Listen closely. God does. God does. That's the story of the gospel. The baby was born. He grew up. And we crucified him. And that crucifixion was a death in our place. That was Jesus' plan so that God the Father could adopt you and make you his son or his daughter. Rebels are turned into sons and daughters all because of the baby. And so when you ask, am I enough? I want you to hear these words from God. He says, yes, you are enough. You are mine. Come home. You're not disqualified. Come home. I love you. Come home. And when you hear these ancient stories from the Bible, let it rekindle your faith when things were simpler, a simpler time in your life. But mostly, I want you to ask, but is it true? Because I don't know where you are tonight, but you should at least want it to be true. Because if we're right, and we are, this is the greatest story ever told. And it is the reason why Christmas is indeed merry. Merry Christmas, everyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these uh, beautiful beautiful stories of humans and fathers and sons and mothers that give us a glimpse of all the beautiful things that you are doing in our presence. Father, we, um, we just ask that this Christmas you would make, you would help us to focus on you, make this Christmas really about Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.